स्मार्ट यू आर लिसनिंग टू अमिंट प्रोडक्शन प्रॉट यू बाय एच टी स्मार्ट हेलो एंड वेलकम टू टेल मी हाउ यू डेट इट आई एम नम्रता सकारिया एंड आई एम हेयर टू ब्रिंग टू यू माई हैंड पिक लिस्ट ऑफ सम ऑफ इंडिया फाइनेस्ट ब्रांड्स यस आर बेस्ट होम ग्रोन कंपनीज that can compete with the world's best and still win the battle hands down these companies range from food fashion and film to home art and design i'm only too happy to talk to the founders who not only chased their rainbows they also made india proud make sure you tune in at hdsmartcast.com week after week to shake the hands that built our best businesses listen to them tell me how they did it I'd like to introduce to you today someone who is literally the superstar of architecture and design and probably the shyest person in the room. He runs from the spotlight, avoids interviews and is ironically the brother of a movie star. Alan Abraham, who helms the Abraham John Architects firm along with his father, has quickly risen to be among the most important names in the field today. He's a specialist in multidisciplinary architecture, interior design, landscaping and uniquely urban planning. His work has ranged from luxury residences to institutional projects to even charitable works such as building earthquake and cyclone proof buildings across India. His firm has been winning awards since 20 years in India as well as Singapore, Austria, Thailand and Italy. Alan's philosophy is simple. The urban can coexist with the natural. Architecture for him is not just a transformation of living spaces but also of society. Alan I'm so thrilled that you let me bully you into doing this podcast. Promise Thanks, me. You, promise me you won't speak in monosyllables. No, I won't. <laughs> I'll speak in monosyllables. <laughs> Thanks for having me on the show. Tell me about your growing up years Alan your father Abraham John was such a strong influence on on both your brothers but did you know from your younger days that you wanted to be an architect and join his firm uh not really i uh, kind of uh, i wanted to explore different things i think i wanted to be a scientist or an artist and not an architect because my dad was an architect but i think over time i defaulted towards architecture so i had a long process I uh, dropped out of college. I traveled the world. I did photography professionally, and then finally I came back to the architecture fold. So it's been a long process, I think, meant to be. <laughs> I've seen your firm from decades ago, even before you joined it, and I see it now how you've changed it and how you've grown it. It's a very evolved mix of experience as well as contemporary design. is it tough to maintain this balance so is it easy uh so it comes uh, naturally because uh, i don't know it may be adhd it may be i can't really focus on one thing only we like to do different things so <laughs> so it comes kind of naturally because uh, we like to expand with different scales from uh, a little door handle for example so we do product design uh that product design could be a part of an interior design it's bespoke normally for custom clients and um, that can scale up to an interior it can scale up to architecture and it can scale up to the city level because for us it's about design and it's about our philosophy it doesn't really matter what the scale is people see it very differently i've realized 
because they say, oh, you're doing different scales and you're doing different things. But in a way, it's applying the same philosophy across um, different uh, zones, so to speak. So for us, the city is an extension of our living room, our dining room. I mean, your open spaces are your living rooms, your restaurants, bars are your dining rooms, your theaters, cinema halls, are your entertainment spaces. The city is your interior space outside. So for us, it's just an extension. Yeah, but much of what you do in terms of design, you know, pays respect to the environment, whether it's homes or hospitality projects. I think you and your firm always ensure that they are open, inviting light, made with, you know, locally sourced natural materials, and they have ample greenery. What does sustainability in design mean for you? So um, the first thing is we love nature and we love the way everything around us is in terms of the natural environment. So what we like to do is generally pay homage to it. Whatever we design cannot be as good. We actually believe that. So we build around it. So if you have trees, we'll build around it. We'll build to enjoy the sky, the light, the trees. And I think that makes the interiors and the architecture nicer because you belong to a place. And the moment you're contextual and you belong to a place, you end up using local materials largely. Because when you're in Goa, you'd rather feel like you're in Goa. Or when you're in Jodhpur, you'd rather feel like you're in Jodhpur. You wouldn't want to feel like you're in a Bombay flat in Jodhpur or in a Bombay basement theater in Goa. I mean, that would be very silly, actually. It kind of beats the purpose of going anywhere. You want to experience the difference in cultures, the difference in food, the difference in smell, sound, sights, temperature. The same way the architecture has to respond to the climate and to the localization, right? So it's a very natural extension again. It's nothing like magic. We just respond to the site. So we build very site-specific homes. And uh, today, sustainability is a buzzword. It's uh, something that people like to speak about. So yes, when you build local and you build responding to your climate and responding to your location, then you are being contextual and you're being sustainable to that, to the extent you can. Of course, it's debatable if you're doing a five-bedroom villa with a swimming pool. Is it really sustainable? I don't think so. Though it is as it is definitely a more sustainable one than another five-bedroom villa. So I wouldn't say we are sustainable because if you build anything, you're not really sustainable. How is it convincing clients? Because if it is a five-bedroom villa and they do want Travertino marble or something really swishy and expensive, like how do you swing that? Okay, so uh, clients are uh, cost-conscious always. So the best way to convince clients is to uh, equate things with costs. Now, uh, if you kind of if they want to save money, we tell them bill less. We're happy to bill less. But normally they don't go for that. But yeah, uh, then we tell them, you know, maybe you don't want to use such expensive materials. We don't really need those because this looks just as good. Yeah. And of course, there's also the fees. So they save a lot on the fees too. <laughs> yeah. 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 When you say sustainability is a buzzword, you're, you're spot on because there is a general trend in, in design where architects and interior decorators used Indian techniques in craft or source locally just because it's like the new black, right? But as a consumer, as as a client, how does one decide on who is a green architect and what are the questions one should be asking or the red flags that one should be looking for? So firstly, everything is uh, partnership. It's not only the architect and it's not only the client. It's always uh, marriage, right? Um, 
So it's very important that uh, people synergize. So normally clients who want such a thing, they come to us or they'll go to a person who will give them that kind of service where they kind of uh, a little more uh, environmentally conscious and other things, you know. So it really uh, comes down to the client and his reference of what he desires. Very often people have this thing like, oh, we'll put LED lights and we're saving the environment. They're not because they're still running the air conditioner, which consumes far more. So one cannot change personal habits, but if one designs sensibly, I cannot speak really for the client because it's a little difficult for me to see the other side very often. We understand where they come from, but we cannot think in those myriad ways. What we can think of doing is creating an environment where potentially you end up saving on air conditioning, you end up saving on the heat load, you orient the building in such a way that the wind works well, the light works well. And these are basic principles that actually have been practiced for a long time. Uh, it's not new now with sustainability. Sustainability is a buzzword currently, but uh, traditional Indian practice has been sustainable. Yeah, it's just that at a point, people move towards uh, uh, capitalization where there's a lot of growth, where there's sudden exponential growth yeah. and people lose their sense of bearing. So you lose yeah. the sense of like, suddenly you're exposed and you can get material from all over the world. Yeah. And you have the money because you suddenly earned a lot and then yeah. you want a lot and you don't know where to limit yourself. So it kind of gets like fusion food and stuff. It's different. <laughs> so, yeah, whatever. <laughs> the, the Bombay Greenway project, which is your pro bono arm, I think it's the most exciting thing I've seen a design firm do today. Um, this obviously undertakes public work projects. Tell me all about it. Uh, I know you've done the St. Stephen steps, which lead up to Mount Mary in Bandra, which are much publicized and photographed and they do events and it's fantastic. You've also done the garden outside uh, Manat, right? Is that Shah Rukh Khan's house? Yeah. Uh, just tell me about mm. Bobby Greenway, what mm. your idea is behind it, what motivated you to, to do this and uh, just a little bit about your project. So dad and I practiced together and uh, Anka, my wife, when she came to India, she's not from India, she's from Europe. When she came down, she um, she joined our firm and then she saw that we were grumbling a lot. Like, oh, the outside could be much better. You know, this can be done so well. We're designing here. The interiors are so nice. When we go out, it's not as nice. And uh, she comes from a country and a civilization where the outdoors and the public space is celebrated. So she was very clear. She said, stop grumbling, start doing. And that's how the Bombay Greenway was formed. So basically, Anka motivated us. And so the three of us formed this uh, uh, research and design arm for pro bono activities, actually to encourage the city to treat itself like an individual entity would, like any corporate would, like any private client would, and to treat its spaces better. Uh, what we've noticed is there's recurrent spend on footpaths, and the footpaths are still unusable. There's recurrent spend on several items, but we don't get the quality we deserve because they don't build well, build once. And the city as a whole, the people in particular, are very busy with their own personal lives, like they should be, but there's no civic sense and there is no community sense. So what happens is very often we ignore the larger interest for our self-interest. And that can be counterproductive because the larger interest is our self-interest. Yeah, so what we, we have done is through design. We also 
also have the culture of public spaces, especially in Bombay, which is so crowded. Everyone mm-hmm. lives like higgledy piggledy. You know, we were discussing this earlier. What is our public square? It's the gateway of India. It's maybe the Marine Drive Promenade or the Carter Road Promenade. You know, Juhu Beach. You know, where are uh, and that's not enough for a city of our size. So, where are our public spaces? So it's ironic. Today, uh, the yesterday or today, the new rules have come in, and uh, to you know, uh, COVID spreads more indoors than outdoors. But the government, in its in its logic, in its sense, has uh, kept restaurants, bars, cinema halls party places, all open, albeit at 50% capacity, but this is a super yeah. virulent strain of virus, right? It spreads. Yeah. Yeah. 50% doesn't matter. And all the outer spaces, the parks, the beaches, the promenades, are all shut. It's, yesterday I went by Carter Road, promenade is shut, everyone's walking on the road because the promenade, which is a glorified footpath, yeah. is shut. So, I mean, I think our city suffers from the fact that we think open spaces are um, to be controlled to be policed, to be always um, closed up, you know? And that's the negative uh, impression. We did have a culture of open spaces. We did have open-air theater. We do have uh, housing as chawls where people enjoy their common spaces, where a lot of spill-out has been there. It's actually a good model. It's just been, um, over time, looked down upon. And what's happening now is we're building these uh, fortified castles, these uh, complexes of gated communities where people isolate themselves. And the street, which used to be vibrant as a community space, has now in many areas become dead. Like if you walk along a street in today's Lower Parel or Worli or wherever, it's dead. There's no street interaction. Whereas if you still look at Fort and you look at the, the arcades and all, you have a lot of public interaction. Yeah. So I don't think uh, people are educated enough to ask for the change. I think it's for the government to actually give it. We did have a lot of parks, promenades being developed by the British pre-independence. Post-independence, we've had very little. We've had no new museum or cultural facility opened up for the public post-independence. It's because in nation building, we've forgotten to build for the public. So... um, through Bombay Greenway, we're trying to, uh, uh, we're doing several things. Like we've mapped all the parks and gardens of uh, H West Ward, which is Santa Cruz Khar Bandra. We've done it for G South and G North Wards, which is right down till Malakshmi. We've proposed uh, uh, changes wherein all the parks have a common signage, a common visual identity. So people realize, oh, this is a public park. It belongs to us. Common rules. You know, as of today, you're not allowed to use a musical instrument in a park. You can't take a guitar into a park. It's like kind of weird. You can't uh, lunch in the park. Most parks don't allow food and eating, which is weird. Because anywhere in the world, you'll take your lunch break in a park, you'll read a book, you'll enjoy it. Parks are closed during the afternoon. In the afternoon, they close at night. And uh, we kind of like, the private citizen also likes to police the park. They don't mind the street being uh, a different zone where people are sleeping on the street, but they don't want people to be housed in parks or whatever. So it's like a very uh, dichotomous society. And uh, this is leading to its downfall. So you have parks, you have beaches, you have open spaces, you have promenades, you have the streets. All of these are your public open spaces, which people should be enjoying 24-7. Yeah. Irrespective of your social strata or your economic strata. So yeah. you, you kind of um, 
even if you're doing well in life today and then tomorrow you don't do well in life, you still have access to, and this is super important, clean air, okay? Uh, and open spaces so that you have a healthy mind and a healthy body. Today, in yeah. COVID times also, we need to exercise outdoors, get sunlight and breathe fresh air. That's far more important than being in a restaurant or keeping so-called economic activities on because people yeah. don't realize that open spaces also have an economic impact on the city, which is far greater. Mental health is important. It cannot be calculated. Physical health is important. All these things affect the economy. And it's not just about keeping uh, private businesses or uh, yeah. certain things open to kind of give the appearance of like, or a semi-lockdown kind of yeah, a thing. But yeah. it's, it's kind yeah. of weird. There has been, there yeah. has been much criticism of, of <clears throat> uh, state governments everywhere that seems to seem to have, you know, closed in on, uh, on open spaces. But you've also been making right. a lot of videos on how to optimize gardens in and around the coastal road area in Bombay. Is this something you're working right. on with the state government or is this an independent exercise? Well, it's independent, but we are working uh, and communicating our ideas to the state and the city government. The government's not appointed us, but we are proposing to the government yeah. because we think it's important to do that. It's important to tell the city and the state, look, I'm paying my taxes. Yeah. I deserve a great city. You're spending a lot of money. For example, you're spending a very small sum of 21,000 crores, which will go up on the coastal road. Uh the road is eight lanes, for which you need 35 meters at most, as per their drawings. But you're reclaiming 200 meters. So maybe, maybe, as I would tell a private client who came with a sea-facing apartment, uh, I would not put a passage by the sea-face view. I'd put your bedrooms, your living rooms, your common areas by the sea-face view. And I'd move the passages to the rear. And this is what we're telling the government. You can't put the road by the seafront. You need to move the road in towards the city and keep the open spaces out where you have a vibrant, beautiful waterfront. Because yeah. as it is, they're kind of destroying nature and reclaiming a lot. And the damage has been done. Yeah. So the question is, how do you realign a road without changing the cost? And this doesn't change the cost. It only changes the cost because but this is a very if you're together, then go ahead with the wrong. Yeah, it's, it's a, a very simple idea, which we're trying to say. Yeah. So uh, take, for example, Wali Seaface or Haji Ali. You already have a coastal road. Yeah. It's called Wali Seaface. Yes. <laughs> it used to be by the sea. Yeah. Uh, now you're building another coastal road. But you're building another coastal road 200 meters out. And you're trapping 100 meters of open space in between two roads. Yeah. Tomorrow, how do you, who will go to an open space between two roads? I mean, that's kind of counterintuitive. And tomorrow that open space can be developable. Yeah. Because governments change, right? Yeah. This government says, and I believe it won't build on the open space. Yeah. So I do believe in the government, but politics is being played and sometimes people change things and uh, we cannot let the whole city be a bargaining tool, right? I mean, if we can't hold the whole city to ransom. If we build the infrastructure in the right place, because the infrastructure will stay far longer than any government. Okay, it's going to stay for 100 years. They've just completed a two kilometer long tunnel under Malabar Hill, from Piyadarshini yeah. Park to Marine Drive. But they've badly designed the ramp from uh, Chopati, where the exit is, to Marine Drive. And the ramps are coming out on the extremities of the road. And all over the city, the ramps and the bridges are in the center of the road because the fast-moving traffic moves on the center of the road. And the slow-moving traffic and the footpath-stopping traffic is on the side of the road. 
what the rams effectively do is they render the footpaths useless and therefore marine drive at that segment will be completely useless and you'll have fast moving traffic on the edges of the road which is a terrible design you also have it closer to the sea so you have the potential for flooding so on so forth okay so they kind of increasing the complexity through bad design and what we are trying to tell them is look there's a simple solution put it out for review you don't have to take our word for it put it out for review mm-hmm. call in other designers so what we are doing is we are asking the government and the city to be open to communication we are proposing things but at no point are we saying as the only good proposal mm-hmm. what we are trying to do is open up the eyes of the common public as well as the government to the fact that design makes a difference good design makes a great difference and infrastructure is here to stay yeah so uh, we're doing this because we are absolutely desperate i see the future because as architects we are soothsayers we can see what the built form will look like yeah. and what it will be <laughs> and this is disastrous if you put a road by the sea instead of pushing it in and putting the open space out it's going to be disastrous and to prove a point today all the open spaces are closed and that is so stupid and to actually access an open space between two huge roads like a whirly sea face and a coastal road it's impossible for any person and especially more so impossible for um, a daughter a wife an older person a handicapped person so excluding most of society a lot of problems stem from the fact that uh, we design uh, mainly for the able bodied tax paying citizen from 20 to 60 So you're designing for the car. You're designing for the person who's able. Now that guy is going to the office. He's not going to a park. But when you're below twenty, when you're a school-going, college-going kid, and when you're above sixty, when you're retired and you're handicapped or you're older, and you need all the same things, you're the same person. You're going through life with all these stages. You cannot only design for a car or only for a, an office goer. So you'll find a lot of expenses if you actually see the expense chart. the expenses for road projects far outweighs the expenses for open spaces the expenses for a connector to a bkc which by the way is a bad design it's a nariman point replicated a dead space at night because it's only offices mm-hmm. they don't design mixed use but the kind of expenses for bkc far outweigh the expenses for the rest of the city and mm-hmm. that's like uh, you're spending a lot on your passages on your study room and nothing on your living spaces your dining space in your house or your kitchen or your you know other spaces that you'll use far more mm-hmm. so you have to equate it to a house a city is your living room Absolutely. and if you think that way you'll say yes i am paying taxes and i deserve a better city and the number one thing should be clean air which we cannot unfortunately control but <laughs> uh but it should be all your air purifiers won't help yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and then your wife anka is is an architect as you said and works with you at the firm your dad is no she's not an architect she's uh she's a designer yeah okay architect is a protected title okay <laughs> for people who slog hard and get a low salary <laughs> fair enough but it's still a creative field uh, your your father yeah. is of course well known your brother is a renowned actor everyone of course is in the creative field your mom was a basketball coach but what is family dinner conversation like what do you talk about all the time terrible <laughs> <laughs> how terrible no no i don't know we don't have like such big family dinners or whatever and we don't have such great conversations <laughs> the focus is on food and eating uh, depends on the person yeah 
Fair enough, fair enough. And we've got kids, so kids have kind of skewed the whole equation. So the focus is on kids. Fair enough. <laughs> Alan, it's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you for your time. I think what you've shared with us about changing our cities and turning our public spaces into, into a living room-like environment is, is really, really mute. I think what you've done with the Bombay Greenway project is fantastic. Um, thanks for talking to me and congratulations on your multiple awards. Bombay Greenway has won an award, right? Yeah, Bombay Greenway is the parent project which was across the tracks. It won an international award. We've just received an award for the Steps in Bandra, which is an Edra Great Places Award. Yeah. And uh, we've proposed several solutions for the city because, yeah, thank you. The awards are only so good as to kind of encourage the BMC and the citizens to kind of do more. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, uh, money is one thing, but no amount of money can get you that fresh air outside or that beautiful space outside. And, you know, we deserve that in our city. We don't have to travel abroad to enjoy these kind of things. We've got it all over here. We just have to connect the spaces, make them beautiful and make it so nice that everyone can enjoy it. So it's easy. It's very easily done. People need to get together. People need to be a little more excited about general life, you know, rather than just Bollywood and cricket. <laughs> Alan, amen to that. And thank you again. Thank you. Thanks, Namrata. If you enjoyed the show or not, write to me on Instagram, Twitter or Clubhouse at Namrata Sitar. You can catch the video podcast on the Lightning channel on YouTube. For updates on Tell Me How You Did It, follow us at HT Smartcast. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Clubhouse. To listen to more podcasts, log on to hdsmartcast.com or suno nay nazariyese. This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.